the beautiful and palatial Ultimate Sports Talk Radio Studio. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the middle of the great state of Ohio. I am Dave Mitchell, and welcome to the Ultimate Sports Talk Show here at UltimateSportsTalk.com. We're going to sit back tonight for the next hour and talk about the Southeastern Conference in college football, Urban Meyer, Bill Belichick, Phil Mickelson, and we're going to start out tonight by talking about Ryan Braun and the suspension that he received earlier this week and what's going on with A-Rod. But before we do that, don't forget that you can join us on tonight's show via the social media simply by tuning in to our chat room. And also, you can talk to us via Twitter, at OHBBCoHost, or you can send us an email tonight. That's dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com. I'm Dave Mitchell. So nice to have you along here this evening. And, of course, I'm going to go off the deep end, and you know what that's going to be all about. It's going to be about Ryan Braun and Alex Rodriguez and the rest of this biogenesis investigation that Major League Baseball is under. Ryan Braun of the Milwaukee Brewers is suspended for the last 65 games of the year. I don't think it's enough. Max Scherver doesn't think it's enough. And there are several other ball players around the community that don't think it's enough. But the Major League Baseball Network's Adam McAlvey, who follows the Milwaukee Brewers, gives the reaction of what's going on around Major League Baseball, especially in the city of Milwaukee. Well, I'm stunned that Ryan Braun basically had admitted violating the program. We don't know what specifically he's admitted to, what specifically they hit him on. It's just a general statement that he violated the program. He's out for the remainder of the season. The players were just coming off the field from batting practice when this news broke, and I'm sure they were all in there watching MLB Network, checking their phones, and learning about the news. Uh, the Brewers' left fielder is now Logan Schaefer, and they will play on this season without Ryan Braun. This is not terrible news, and Doug Melvin said this. This allows them to hit the reset button next season from a baseball perspective, and they'll, they, they'll have Ryan Braun in left field. Um, it, it's not the worst thing of all the scenarios that could have happened in, in the way a suspension could have come down. He was cheered wildly here. He had tremendous support here. A lot of fans here viewed this as a witch hunt against Ryan Braun, and they believed everything he said from the, from the very first when he said that's BS when this news first broke to his amazingly, uh, 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 his astonishing press conference in hindsight on February 23rd when it was announced that he'd won his original appeal, to this year when there's been bits of news that come out about biogenesis, he keeps saying the truth has not changed, and a lot believed the truth according to Ryan Braun. So I think his statement admitting wrongdoing, apologizing to the fans, is going to stun a lot of people in the ballpark. Okay, before I even get into this, I want you to hear what Doug Melvin, the GM of the Milwaukee Brewers, said about all this on Tuesday when the suspension came down. I know a decision's finally been made in regards to Ryan. And uh, from that standpoint, as a general manager of the ball club, um, we're happy that that decision has, has, has come to an end. And uh, we support the commissioner's drug program, the commissioner's office, Ryan, the union have all gotten together and finally uh, put an end to this. So we at the ball club can move forward, concentrate on the 25 players on the field, and move forward and try to win as many ball games as we can. I talked to Ryan earlier on. Um, I know he's addressed the players uh, in that regard. So um, our focus will be on the field. I know there's going to be a lot of questions that I said will go unanswered because I don't have the answers to them. The decision's been made. He's suspended without pay. Yeah, I'm disappointed, obviously, and disappointed. Uh, and that he's uh, a very important player to our organization and uh, to the ball club and to our performance on the field. He's a Milwaukee Brewer. He's wearing a uniform uh, next year, and his focus is to get ready for next year. What performance on the field? The Milwaukee Brewers are in last place in the National League Central. Last place. They're behind the Cubs, for crying out loud. This is a terrible year for Milwaukee. What sort of punishment is this? on Ryan Braun. He gets 65 games, he loses $3 million in salary, and what does he get to come back to? A team that's going to have the probably the number one pick in baseball next year in the draft. He's going to come back to a team that with a couple of moves can be right back at the top of the Central Division. And more importantly, he is coming back to 
a $113 million payday with the Milwaukee Brewers. How is this justice over what Ryan Braun did? This is absolute injustice to baseball. Max Scherzer even comes out and says, he's a union representative for the Detroit Tigers, that the 65-game suspension doesn't fit the crime, and he called Braun's actions in the wake of this despicable. He was the starting pitcher for the AL All-Star Game and said that many of his peers are upset with Braun's behavior and that he'd favor the Brewers having the ability to terminate his contract. But ask yourself this question. Where is this punishment coming from? It's coming from the head of Major League Baseball. Who is that? Bud Selig. Bud Selig is the commissioner of baseball and has been for the last over a decade. What was he prior to commissioner of baseball? Exactly. The owner of the Milwaukee Brewers. And what was he when all this took place? The commissioner of baseball. And what is he doing in two years? He's retiring. What I'm saying is Bud Selig is a joke. He's not the commissioner of baseball. He's the caretaker of the game for the owners who allowed these players to go ahead and do whatever it was that they wanted, taint the name of the game, taint the stats, taint the pennant races, taint the World Series, and continue on making money hand over fist. That's what's disgusting. And what's even more disgusting is the collateral damage that this has put into place. Ask yourself this question. Dino Lorenze Jr., who is he? He is the employee of Comprehensive Drug Testing, which was responsible for collecting Ryan Braun's urine sample. Dino Lorenzi Jr. handles urine for a profession. He was fired from his job because of the things that Ryan Braun accused him of. The things that Ryan Braun lied about. Ryan Braun is a cheater. He is no longer in Major League Baseball for the rest of the year. Big deal. He should have to take that $113 million contract and pay Dino Lorenzi Jr. at least a million dollars a year for the rest of his life for what he has done to damage this guy's reputation and get him fired as a urine handler? How would Ryan Braun like to do Dino Lorenzi Jr.'s job for just one day? Unbelievable. And then there's Alex Rodriguez, who goes out and gets a second opinion on a grade one quad strain without the union's blessing. The union has already come out. The Major League Baseball Players Union has already come out and said if the evidence is overwhelming against any player that baseball is looking at, they will not appeal. And Rodriguez issued a statement this afternoon that I think the Yankees and I crossed signals. I don't want any more mix-ups. I'm excited and ready to play and help this team win a championship. I feel great. I'm ready and want to be in the lineup Friday night. Enough doctors. Let's play. Guess what? Alex Rodriguez is going to get his wish. He had another examination this afternoon by the Yankees doctor. He's been cleared to play, and he'll be in the lineup tomorrow night. He gets his wish, and then Major League Baseball will be put on the spot to do something with this guy. They say that the evidence they have against him is monumental. It makes the evidence they had against Ryan Braun seem minuscule. Let's see what they do with A-Rod. Did anybody see what happened to Tim Hudson last night for the Atlanta Braves? It was a grotesque injury. He's out for the year after ankle surgery today. It was just a routine grounder to Freddie Freeman at first base, and Tim Hudson came over to cover the bag, but he missed the corner of the bag and stepped right on top of it, and Eric Young came down right on top of his ankle and turned it to the inside, fracturing it, and he had the ankle surgery today. He is out for the year, and it really hurts the Braves' chances, probably not at winning the division, but of winning the World Series. And the Braves will have a decision to come up with at the end of the year because Tim Hudson is a free agent. 
He'll be 38 years old. He had Tommy John surgery a few years ago and now ankle surgery this year. But he's never had more losses than wins in any of his 15 years in the big leagues. So what do the Braves do? We'll find out during the winter meetings. This coming Wednesday is the trade deadline in Major League Baseball. July 31st is the day we're going to find out who are the buyers and who are the sellers. Of course, this week, Matt Garza, who was one of the big players on the trade market, was sent to the Texas Rangers from the Chicago Cubs. And in talking with John Paul Morosi of Fox Sports, he says he doesn't think that the Texas Rangers are done making trades this week. I don't think they're finished yet. They might go out there and get a big-time bat. I also think the St. Louis Cardinals, because of their need for pitching, maybe even old friend Jake Peavy could be on his way to St. Louis, given their need. They have such a great farm system, so they definitely have the ability to trade there. Also, the Detroit Tigers, they are one of the teams that are heavily, heavily looking at that bullpen market right now. Yeah, the Cubs have not won a World Series in more than 100 years, but I'm going to give them an award for being <laughs> the most aggressive seller early on. Garza, Scott Feldman, Scott Harrison, a lot of moves early on. They are close to being done. There's still a possibility of an Alfonso Soriano deal as well there. But I think now the focus will probably move with the Brewers and the Padres with the bullpen possibilities there. I think one team that's kind of on the fence right now, the Philadelphia Phillies. Huge week for them coming up. Is Cliff Lee going to be out there? That could be the big late surprise in this market if they have a bad week. Yeah, let's see what the Philadelphia Phillies do this week and if they're going to be buyers or sellers next week. Our thanks to John Paul Morosi for going over that for us. And that's going to do it for baseball this week. Let's move into football. Our SEC preview is coming up in the second half hour, but we're going to start out, and I've often told you that I'm not going to talk much about the Aaron Hernandez trial, and I mean it. I'm not. But there were a couple of things that came out in the media, and I really want to discuss what's going on in the media over this Aaron Hernandez frenzy and even what's going on with Urban Meyer. And really to get into that, you've got to move into the Massachusetts, New England area with Bill Belichick and the Patriots. The media got him to talk. ESPN wanted him to come out yesterday and say something about what was happening with the Aaron Hernandez situation. After all, Robert Kraft, the owner of the team, already spoke a couple of weeks ago and they felt that Bill Belichick owed it to them to come out and talk. And you could just tell, looking at Belichick yesterday, he wanted to be anywhere but behind that podium, talking about what Aaron Hernandez may have done, and let's keep it in the context of allegedly for this conversation, and how it's going to affect him, the organization, and the Patriots, as a football team. Belichick was very eloquent. He's very honest. If you listen to what Belichick has said throughout the years, he is honest about things. He just doesn't like to expound upon possibilities. And that's the big thing with Belichick. But yesterday, he was very profound and, it, once again, very honest with the media. Let's take a listen to what it was that Bill had to say at the beginning of his press conference. You know, it's a sad day. It's really a sad day um, on so many levels. Uh, our thoughts and prayers are with the family of the victim. And um, I extend my sympathy really to everyone who's been impacted. I and other members of the organization were shocked and disappointed in what we had learned. Um, having someone in your organization that's involved in a murder investigation is a terrible thing. I'm not trying to make the story disappear, but I respect the judicial, the judicial process and been advised not to comment on ongoing legal proceedings. And that is one thing that the media just didn't like, was the fact that Bill was not going to talk about what was happening. He did come out and say that there were probably going to be changes made, but he wouldn't be specific in what those changes were. And he was not going to talk about Aaron Hernandez. He did not want to talk about anything that had to do with that situation. Which then leads us to Yahoo Sports reporter Dan Wetzel, who then came to Bill Belichick's defense and sang the praises of Belichick for coming out and speaking at this press conference 
about Aaron Hernandez. And please listen carefully to what Dan Wetzel has to say, because I'm going to get into it afterwards when I'm talking about Urban Meyer. Here's Dan Wetzel. Well, I thought he was pretty contrite. He offered sympathy uh, to the victim's family. He uh, acknowledged it was a big story. He spoke at length on the things that he felt he could speak about. Uh, there were legal constraints considering the ongoing investigations into not only the murder of Odin Lloyd, but potentially other incidents involving Aaron Hernandez. So uh, I thought there were a lot of people who figured Belichick would stonewall and not want to answer one question on this, considering the time and the depth that he went into on uh, various subjects. Uh, I thought this was a very, very open Bill Belichick. That's Dan Wetzel of Yahoo Sports. And remember what he just said, because I'm going to go into an article that he wrote just a couple of days ago. The media wants a scapegoat. That's what they want. They want somebody that they can have on tape taking accountability for what Aaron Hernandez allegedly did. There's only one person that should be held accountable for what Aaron Hernandez allegedly did. And if it was Aaron Hernandez, then it should be Aaron Hernandez. Not Bill Belichick, not Robert Kraft, not Urban Meyer, and not Tim Tebow. And that brings me to Urban Meyer. There have been four arrests over the last week at Ohio State. And the media has come down on Urban Meyer like you wouldn't believe like he is the bane of existence in college football. And I want to get into that because Urban Meyer is really getting to the point where he can't do anything without the media coming down on him. And he was at the Big Ten media days yesterday. And the very first question that he was asked was about the Aaron Hernandez situation and the other legal troubles, alleged legal troubles, that are going on at Ohio State, and Coach Meyer spoke about those to the media yesterday at Media Day. In the last 12 months, we've had three legal issues, and it all happened in three days, I think, or three or four days. And uh, we had two freshmen that have been with us, I think, just over three weeks, make two stupid decisions that uh, were dealt with very firmly. One's been sent home, one lost a scholarship, and uh, you know, one of them was a 17-year-old using a fake ID, and it's just it drives you insane that you have to deal with that nonsense, but. That's part of the, the issue. We had an upperclassman that I'm still receiving information about. Um, my concern is, you know, it's just uh, I don't want to disrupt this team. You know, I, I think, uh, and I talk to them all the time about it, we have an incredible amount of resources and, and time spent into educating players on how to do the right thing at the right time. Um, and when a mistake happens or something happens, you have to react and get it done. So uh, I'm disappointed. I think furious might have been the word that uh, would best describe when I first got the, the phone call because, like I said, for 12 months it's been really, really good. And uh, I don't want a disruption for this team. These guys work too hard. And to have a couple uh, knuckleheads make some decisions that uh, reflect the entire program, that, that, that's not, you know, I mean, it's, I guess it's part of the deal. It's something that, uh, that bothers me, bothers our staff, and we're very hard to avoid with our players. Urban Meyer going over what's going on at Ohio State right now. Now, here's what's happening. On Monday, Ohio State suspended star running back Carlos Hyde after the player was considered a person of interest in an assault on a woman in a Columbus bar. You heard Urban say right there, he was waiting for all the facts to be assimilated. There is some discrepancy as to what happened there. There's a Columbus TV station that says they have seen the video footage that the police are seeing that says that Hyde did allegedly hit a woman. But there is also other news organizations that are saying, the police are saying, no, he did not hit the woman. So Urban Meyer is waiting until he gets all the facts before he takes the indefinite suspension off Hyde or kicks him off the football team. Now, the program has also dismissed incoming recruit Tim Gardner, for the season, and suspended freshman tight end Marcus Baugh through the season. Why? They used fake IDs. That's exactly what they did. And then Bradley Roby, starting cornerback, was picked up in Indiana for battery resulting in bodily injury after a bar fight over the weekend. Those are the incidents 
that the media is chastising Urban Meyer over. And that includes Dan Wetzel of Yahoo Sports. The same Dan Wetzel we just heard who sang the praises of Bill Belichick and how glowing Bill Belichick was in speaking about the Aaron Hernandez incident. Well, this is just an excerpt from an article that Dan Wetzel wrote on Tuesday for Yahoo Sports about Urban Meyer. And I quote, I'm reading directly from the article, Urban Meyer thinks highly of himself. He does. Heck, just listen to him. And he doesn't think just highly of himself as someone who can win college football games. No, it's more than that. He thinks of himself in that grand, often illusionary role as a teacher-coach, someone who mentors young men to be the best they can possibly be off the field while occasionally teaching them how to play the game. Remember his self-congratulatory claim that he conducted daily Bible sessions with Aaron Hernandez, which sounded like a bit of an exaggeration? And in parentheses, he says, daily? Really? And in the end, obviously didn't produce the desired result. Now, just looking at that paragraph, didn't re produce the desired results? Mr. Wetzel, how do you know? How do you know that Aaron Hernandez was not a lost soul prior to Urban Meyer getting a hold of him and preaching the word of God to him in a daily manner? And even if it didn't happen every day, maybe just the possibility exists there, especially with rooming with Tim Tebow, that some, something sunk in. But the question is, why are you speaking so glowingly of Bill Belichick? And I'm not laying the blame at Bill Belichick. Don't get me wrong here. But Bill Belichick has had Aaron Hernandez for the same amount of time that Urban Meyer did. Four years. Aaron Hernandez roomed with Tim Tebow during his time at Florida. Bill Belichick just brought Tim Tebow into New England. Maybe that was because Aaron Hernandez was there and he wanted some sort of role model for Aaron Hernandez to be with. We don't know the inside story. Nobody is commenting. Bill Belichick has said he has been advised by his attorneys not to talk about Aaron Hernandez. The New England players have been advised, don't talk about Aaron Hernandez. So Dan Wetzel, in his Yahoo article, says that Urban Meyer didn't produce the desired results on Aaron Hernandez yet speaks in glowing terms about Bill Belichick for talking about nothing for seven minutes at his press conference yesterday? <clears throat> Let me continue. Urban Meyer believes he is someone who runs the model program and grows exasperated, if not combative, at those who challenge that ass assertion. Maybe it's delusional, maybe it isn't. Only he knows how much he really cares. Publicly, he doesn't even cop to being Father Flanagan. No, he's above that. He's the coach who wouldn't touch Father Flanagan's guys. Oh, now I'm understanding the basis of this article. Dan Wetzel is upset because Urban Meyer went to Ohio State, not because of the fact that he lost Aaron Hernandez, so he speaks in the preceding paragraph, no, he's upset because he went to Ohio State and didn't go to Notre Dame. Why else would he talk about Father Flanagan's guys? Okay, now, back to the article. Meyer is dealing with four more incidents. I've already told you about that. Now, let's talk about what has happened with Notre Dame under their coach, Brian Kelly. Remember this. We've already talked about Carlos Hyde. Okay, we've talked about Bradley Roby and the two freshmen and what they've done. This is what has happened at Notre Dame. In 2010, Lizzie Seabury committed suicide nine days after she was raped by a Notre Dame football player who was never suspended, never arrested, and played the following two years at Notre Dame. That's just the first incident. The second incident. Also in 2010, in November, Declan Sullivan, 
a 20-year-old, died when the hydraulic scissor lift that he was on filming practice fell from 30 feet in the air. There were 50 to 60 mile an hour winds and Brian Kelly, the coach, said he didn't know it was too windy for the 20-year-old to go up on the scissor lift to film practice that day. OSHA fined the school, Notre Dame, for that. But yet the NCAA said no sanctions, nothing. It was swept under the rug. And then finally, Tommy Reese, the quarterback this year for Notre Dame because of Everett Golson. In May of 2012, almost a year ago, over a year ago, was arrested after an on-campus party. He was arrested on four misdemeanors, underage consumption, two counts of resisting arrest, and battery. Who was the battery against? The police officer that arrested him. Reese need him in the midsection. And he is going to be the starting quarterback for the Fighting Irish this year. Why? Because Brian Kelly, their coach, disciplined Everett Golson, the quarterback from a year ago, for not having the type of grades that he wanted. And I'm not even bringing up the Manti Teo incident from a year ago. So all this has happened at Notre Dame, but yet Urban Meyer is the one that Dan Wetzel wants to write about. Why aren't we hearing what's going on at Notre Dame? Why isn't the NCAA investigating it? Why are they wasting their time trying to bribe prosecutors in Miami over the University of Miami incident? Why are they upset over Ohio State, some of their players, getting tattoos? Why are they going after Oregon for paying $25,000 to a recruiting service to steer a recruit to their university campus? Why don't they go to South Bend and take a look at Notre Dame, and why isn't Dan Wetzel reporting on that? Those are questions that Dan Wetzel should be asking instead of praising Bill Belichick and lambasting Urban Meyer. And we're going to be back to take a look at the SEC right after this timeout. In Cincinnati last night, Dylan Michael made his highly anticipated debut in front of a full house and did not disappoint. Michael went 3 of 5 with a single and two doubles while driving in three as Cincinnati defeated New York 6-3. to three. Michael, Cincinnati's number one pick in this year's amateur draft, virtually forced the team to promote him after pounding minor league pitching since his signing. Last at bat, a novel by Mark Donahue, available at Joseph A. Beth. Barnes & Noble, and Books and & Company. And you can also get Mark Donahue's book, Last at Bat, simply by ordering it here at ultimatesportstalk.com. It's on the right side of the webpage. Click on that and get your copy today. Well, there's no doubt that the SEC is the premier conference in college football. They've won the last seven national titles. They've split them up between four schools. Alabama's won three of the last four. Florida won two. LSU and Auburn each have won one. And tonight we're going to turn our attentions to the South and take a look at the Southeastern Conference. CBS Sports has the rights to the SEC. You can see them every Saturday afternoon. And they preview what's going on in the SEC this year. Obviously, Alabama is the defending national champion. But other than Alabama... Who are the teams you're watching in the SEC? Well, th Tony, this isn't too uh, too hard. I think obviously Texas A&M, because of the way they finished last year, they beat Alabama. You know, I, I think people are forgetting about LSU. You know, they still got enough talent in the West. And I'd say a three-team race in the East is uh, is going to be something. I mean, the question for me is, and I ask it every year now, is, is this the best SEC we've ever seen? So there's about six in there for me. Well, you talk about the teams over in the East. I mean, when you look at the schedule, Georgia – and Florida by far had the toughest schedule in the SEC East. Coach Burrier told us today, well, schedule's a little bit easier now, Dennis. I like that. I like that. So I, I think when all is said and done, you got to watch South Carolina in the East and Alabama in the West. Now, what about some teams? Somebody asked me the other day, Dennis, is there going to be a dark horse in this conference? I don't know that there's going to be a dark horse. I think the six teams that were good last year are going to be good. But I'm looking at a team like 
Auburn. I think Gus Malzahn, of the four new coaches in the SEC, has a chance to have the most success early. He was hired, Gus Malzahn, for a reason. He's the one guy, or one of the few guys, that can go head-to-head 24-7-365 with that juggernaut over to Alabama. I'm talking about beating them or winning national championships. Just survived the pressure. And I agree with you. They look like an eight-win team to me to get this thing back on track. It's not going to take a national championship. It, Auburn just has to get their respect back at this point. You know, Tennessee's going to be an interesting team to watch. I mean, a lot of enthusiasm with Butch Jones coming on uh, as the head coach. But you sit there and look at their talent. They don't have enough players. And they got a schedule, Dennis, where they've got to go to Oregon and turn right around and go to Florida. A lot of people like this Tennessee team to win nine games. But I agree. It's going to be tough under a new coach. Any coach coming in from the outside, and believe me, Butch Jones is from the outside. He's a native, native guy from Michigan, not used to the SEC culture. It's going to be a problem. So I agree with that. I think this team is going to get better, but not over the hump yet. You know, and when you talk about some teams that might struggle a little bit, the, the, Mississippi State's an interesting case, Des. I mean, a year ago, Mississippi State started 7-0. and They were number 11 in the country. They weren't that good a football team. When you go back and look at their schedule, they did it against three teams mm-hmm. that were a combined 1-23 and 23 in the SEC. So uh, you know, Mississippi State is a team with Tyler Russell coming back as a senior quarterback. But I really wonder with Hugh Freeze and Ole Miss doing so well how good they're going to be. Blew some leads also, uh, tech, or Mississippi State. But they have, they have to win the state first. Uh, Hugh, Hugh Freeze has captured the hearts and minds, at least in that state, in the, in the publicity department. If there's a coach in trouble, and I, I don't want to go overboard on this, then it's it's Dan Mullen right now. I'm not saying he's going to be fired, but he has to capture something and get this team back. I mean, and other than that, I, I don't think there's really a team that's in trouble because everybody else is, is kind of rebuilding. There are always great games in this conferences. But here's the question I've got. I mean, is there more riding on any September game than Alabama going to Texas A&M on September 14th. I mean, just think about all the storylines. Right, and I'll tell you why, and this has been my theory since the beginning. The league is so strong that the loser of that game, unless it's a blowout, can lose the game and rehab itself enough to play for the national championship. We've already seen Alabama not even win its division. Same could happen to Texas A&M. I don't think the pollsters are going to penalize whoever loses that game, again, unless it's a blowout. So I think this this game has lasting value within the league because it's not going to be the end of the world for the loser. Well, another couple of games that you probably need to look at. Georgia hosts South Carolina on September 7th. Uh, Georgia will be coming off a big game, non-conference game at Clemson. And then Florida has to go to South Carolina on November 16th. Florida may be uh, undefeated at that point. South Carolina could be undefeated at that point. SEC East could be riding up. Well, of course, Alabama is the defending national champion. They've won three of their last four. They're going to open up with Virginia Tech on August 31st. And then, as the guys said, they've got Texas A&M two weeks later. Alabama coach Nick Saban discusses these tough matchups early in the season. Well, I think it's a big game because it's a division game. It's the first one uh, SEC game you know, of the season. Uh, it is a team that we didn't have a lot of success against last year. Uh, who's going to have a really, really good team with uh, an outstanding quarterback. So uh, there's a lot of challenges there for us. Um, Division games are almost worth two games because you lose all the tiebreakers if you lose one. Uh, So, you know, it's an extremely important game. And uh, I think that, um, you know, the focus for our team is is that, that we need to develop what the things that we can control, improve the things that, we need to improve so that we're going to give ourselves the best opportunity when we have uh, these two, both the games that we have early in the season, very challenging games. We're going to be more prepared and ready to take advantage of any opportunity that we can create for ourselves. Meanwhile, the other side of that matchup, Texas A&M is embroiled in a controversy where some of the coaches in the SEC feel that their no-huddle rush offense under Jandy Manziel is dangerous. Kevin Sumlin, their head coach, talks about those accusations. I think it's good for the game. I think it's within the rules. I think uh, there have been some claims. I don't know that they're substantiated. Uh, I haven't seen any data uh, that that would lead me to believe that it is unsafe. Um, I read an article the other day uh, that uh, nowhere in the article uh, did did I see any data that supported that. I saw some opinions uh, that that, uh, supported it, and it's just like anything else. Until 
there's hard data that, 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 uh, that substantiates that. I, I don't see any truth to it. I, I do know that we play within the rules, uh, much like other sports that, uh, that pick up the pace, whether it's basketball, whether it's baseball and stealing bases. There's, uh, there's different aggressive styles. And uh, as I've said before, there's a reason they call it offense and defense. You know, offense uh, should dictate the pace of play of the game, not the defense. And, uh, you know, that's, that's why you, you have two different sides of the football. So until there's some sort of uh, uh, recognizable data that supports that, I don't think there's any, any credibility to that claim at all. I think it's just all opinion. And that's going to be a big game, Texas A&M and Alabama on September the 13th. Hey, Butch Jones has moved from Cincinnati down south into Tennessee, and he's talking about Tennessee pride. Butch Jones shares his high expectations for the upcoming season and his plans for the Volunteers' future. It's a challenge for our coaching staff, myself, uh, for our current team and our recruits to get Tennessee football back to its rightful place among the elite of college football. And it's going to take a lot of work, but it's a tremendous opportunity. And we do have a lot of momentum right now. And uh, But, you know, we have a great product to sell. When you look at our tradition, you look at our facilities, a brand-new $50 million Anderson Training Center, uh, the ability to play in front of 100,000-plus in Neyland Stadium, which I think is the greatest venue in college football, great academic reputation, and people make a place. So we're a national brand, and... Uh, you know what, our current team has done a great job. They've been great ambassadors for us, and that's really helped in that transition. Well, I think, again, it's a pride for Tennessee football, and it is. It's a special place. There's only one Tennessee, and there's a lot of great storied programs, but I think Tennessee ranks up there. And I've always said it is. It's one thing to go to a program right now that's winning and established, but to be able to go to a program that's very prideful in tradition, that's had a great pass, but to be able to be that group of collective individuals that get that football program back to national prominence, that's something that will stay with you and live with you the rest of your life. I'm Dave Mitchell, and we're taking a look at the SEC on tonight's Ultimate Sports Talk show. And one of the most entertaining teams in the SEC to watch year after year after year is, of course, the South Carolina Gamecocks. They were 11-2 and last year, 6-2 and in the conference, and they're opening up with North Carolina on a Thursday night, August 29th. Their head coach, Steve Spurrier, talks about their prospects for the upcoming season. we got a pretty good team, I think. I don't know how good. Uh, we returned a lot of guys on offense. We lost a lot of good defensive players, linebackers, uh, strong safety, D.J. Swearinger. And, uh, and so forth. But we think we got some young players ready to step up and really contribute. Uh, got two really good quarterbacks, Connor Shaw and Dylan Thompson. Uh, they both played in the bowl game. They both threw a couple of touchdowns. They both threw for over 150 yards, I think. So they, they combined to, to help us uh, uh, beat Michigan in the uh, Outback Bowl. Uh, wide receivers, tight ends, got a couple of good tight ends. Running backs, we think we're we got a lot of good players. Uh, whether or not we're going to be a great team or a real good team, only time will tell. Steve, any possibility at all that uh, Clowney could play a little bit on offense? Uh, not really. We got a bunch of offensive players that are pretty good, and uh, and uh, he played a little bit in high school though. He, he he's capable. Uh, he's he's capable of running with the ball. But that, that wouldn't make sense to be running with the ball and sprain an ankle and uh, be standing over there with me the rest of the season. That wouldn't be very smart. So he's, he's pretty good about staying out of pileups and things like that. So important for him to stay healthy. How would you like to be a middle linebacker or a safety? All of a sudden look up and here's Jadavian Clowney coming straight at you, leading a running back up the middle. Well, that may not be the only problem that South Carolina has because they're looking into whether or not Clowney has been in contact with Agent Jay-Z. Now, that's been announced by the school spokesman who told that to NFL.com. Now, the contact does not necessarily jeopardize Clowney's eligibility this season. Under the NCAA rules, which are vast and some people don't even know them, most people don't even know them, student-athletes are allowed to speak to and socialize with agents as long as the players pay for all their own costs, including transportation and meals. South Carolina coach 
Spurrier told ESPN on Tuesday that Clowney has a good understanding of the NCAA rules, so it's doubtful if anything has happened. Yet, Clowney, who is probably one of the most outstanding athletes and maybe the number one draft pick in the NFL next season, is ready to dominate the SEC in 2013, and he explains what he wants to accomplish this season. Uh, make more plays than I did the year before, all in every category. <laughs> Tackles, sacks, fumbles, recoveries, forced fumbles, interception, hopefully, you know, anything to help my team win. I approve, man. I'm taking on the two-on-one more because I'm getting a lot of double team now, so taking on the two-on-one be a lot improving on a two-on-one game would be a lot more helpful me towards. Can you imagine this kid if he gets even better? You know he's going to get better. But, boy, he is already a load to handle. Continuing on with the SEC, one of the teams that has won a national championship over the last seven years are the Auburn Tigers. And they're coming off a really bad year. They were 3-9 and nine last year, 0-8 oh in the conference, which led them to hire Gus Malzahn as their new head coach. And they're going to open up with Washington State and Mike Leach on August 31st. Their new head coach, Gus Malzahn, discovers their uh, discusses their quarterback situation, I should say, and how that quarterback is going to run the offense. Of course, you know, we feel like he was a very talented quarterback, you know, coming out of high school. He went to another SEC school and started at another position. That tells you what kind of athlete he is. And I was at Arkansas State last year, started recruiting him, and uh, he's got phenomenal talent. Uh, a lot of times in junior college, as far as protecting the, the ball, you know, they don't have as many coaches and all that. But uh, we're excited about him, and we're going to give him a chance and uh, see if he can win the job. Rhett will have uh, extreme responsibility uh, with the offense. Like I said earlier, I've got a lot of confidence in him. He knows this offense inside and out. Uh, he'll be a big part of the game planning. And we've been together a long time, all the way back to high school, you know, at Springdale High School. And uh, so we'll call plays together. And uh, But i got a lot of confidence in him, and he'll have a, a big responsibility. The fact that we've recruited these guys specifically uh, to our offense, um, you know, anytime you change offenses and you do it a year, even though those guys are familiar with what we're doing, it takes a little bit of time, but it will help us the fact they're familiar with, with, with what we're doing. Like I said, our big thing is, though, our quarterback position. Yeah, those players should be familiar with what Malzahn's going to do because he was the offensive coordinator when they won the national championship just three years ago. Moving over to Georgia, well, Mark Richt started out slow last year, and people started screaming for his job around the Peach State, but he took the Bulldogs into the SEC title game, and he talks about facing Clemson and South Carolina early in the season. Playing uh, Clemson South and South Carolina back-to-back, -back, uh, two teams that could very easily be in the top ten. A few weeks later, we play LSU as well, so we, we really have a, a tough grind of a schedule to begin with. I think our players are going to be excited about it. I know our coaches are. Our uh, preseason camp will be built around playing that type of schedule to start out. We may we may start uh, our work on Clemson and South Carolina a little bit sooner. Then maybe we have uh, some other opponents in the past, so it's going to be big. We're looking forward to it. Until we start playing, and we are going to be playing against some really outstanding offensive football teams to start out the year, I really don't know what they're going to do or how they're going to respond, but I know we'll be as prepared as we can be. We're going to we're going to practice them hard. We're going to be diligent to teach them what to do. But again, it's it's the experience of doing it. And uh, until you've had the ball thrown over your head a couple times as a DB, you know, a corner or a safety, uh, you just you can't simulate that in practice. Uh, when it happens in the game in front of 90,000 people, it, it just changes the way you think. And so. Hopefully we'll do a really good job of preparing the best we can, and they'll come out and play well. Again, another team that won a national championship from the SEC are the LSU Tigers. Les Miles is their head coach. They finished 10-3 and a year ago and 6-2 and in the conference. It was a rather disappointing season for the Tigers by their own standards. They open up on August 31st with TCU, and Miles expects progression from his returning quarterback starter, Zach Member. Well, yeah, he threw for 2,600 yards last year in uh, 12 touchdowns. You know, that was a really nice start. Um, you know, Cam's coming in with a guy that's, you know, been on the field and made the throws and done the things that we've asked him to do. And then now it's really the next level. And, 
I think Campbell, I think, will prepare him in, in a number of ways. How to think, you know, get it out of his hand quickly. You know, the the decisions that the quarterback position has to make are the most important decisions that you know are made play after play. Well, we've had five guys that um, that played a lot of football last year, and so the veteran part of our team's that offensive line. The uh, the guys that uh, that. Uh, Although veteran, they're still young, uh, but they've you know they've been on the field a lot, and we'd expect that they would really have a uh, have great impact on the season. We we turn to the offensive line and say protect our quarterback, and we're going to run it. We are taking a look at the Southeastern Conference, the SEC, on tonight's Ultimate Sports Talk Show. Nice to have you along. I'm Dave Mitchell, and of course Mississippi is a team that has made great strides. Over the past few years in the SEC, they finished seven and six a year ago, three and five in the conference, and they will be opening up their season on a Thursday night. That's August 29th at Vanderbilt. Hugh Freeze, as you heard the guys from CBS Sports say earlier, is really the name of the game in Mississippi right now, and he tries to keep the expectations for his football program in check for this upcoming season. I was reminded this spring when we lost a few of those to injury that uh, of, of how fortunate we really were. We played the same receivers the entire year. Defensive line, we stayed healthy. And uh, again, we had some injuries this spring and it reminded me we're, we're not quite where we need to be depth chart wise for this league. Uh, we did uh, take a step in the right direction uh, in addressing the depth issues in recruiting. But uh, it's still not, as I look at it, I don't think that we are uh, as deep as we need to be in a lot of places. And um, the, the expectations that are coming uh, now with our program, I'm very careful. I told every group that I went to this spring, and I tell our team quite often that unrealistic expectations, they always produce frustration. I don't care in what area of life that you're in, if you have an unreal expectation and it does not come to pass, uh, you get very frustrated. So our, our task in year two is to maintain the enthusiasm and energy uh, from both our fans and our players and everyone that is involved in our program um, as we uh, continue to strive to be relevant in the SEC West. Um, we, we have made strides, but again, those young men that we've recruited to help us with our depth issues, you know, they're just 18-year-old kids, and, and how quick they'll adjust to this game and this league, you know, you really don't know. Well, Mr. Freeze is trying to keep the expectations cool for the Mississippi alumni and their fans, but they are red hot right now expecting big things out of their school this year. In Missouri, Gary Pinkle, after he came over from the University of Toledo, has really built a juggernaut at Missouri. They're one of the second tier teams in the SEC after moving over from the Big 12. They finished 5-7 and seven a year ago, 2-6 and six in the conference, and they're going to open up on August 31st against Murray State. And Pinkle talks about what the upcoming season holds for his quarterback, James Franklin, and his running back, Henry Josie. You know, our last three quarterbacks are playing in the NFL now. Uh, to, to be that level of a quarterback and had more injuries than any quarterback I've ever been around since I've ever been coaching. Uh, he's been very, very driven. Uh, he wants to, he wants to, you know, start. He wants to win. He wants to be, uh, uh, get back and what we do is we win at Missouri and he wants to get back to doing it. So, uh, what I always do if a, if a player comes, comes back, is not an established starter, we keep it pretty competitive up and through in the middle of August. Uh, at the quarterback position. And uh, we're going to do that. But he came out of spring. He had a very, very good spring. Very well. Might be the starter. And uh, we'll see where it goes. Henry is a great story. I mean, you know, top five running back in the nation his sophomore year. Three games left or two games left. Has a major, major uh, blowout in his knee. It took the whole year to recover. Had a, had a good spring. Really good spring. Uh, going through the mental test so much of, for a running back is the mental side of it, you know, the confidence side of it. If you're in a different position, you don't have people running back, you've got people coming after you. So we went from, from without just helmets on to what was like a shoulder pads practice with shoulder pads and then and full pads and then, and then actually scrimmaging where they could tackle them. And I'm sitting there the whole time, you know, just kind of 
you know, I'm just nervous the whole time just going through it because he, he's worked so hard to get back. So he had a great spring. Uh, we expect him to do a lot of good things. The only people talking about the University of Florida right now seem to be the Florida coaches, especially their head coach, Will Muschamp. And really it hasn't been about their team. It's been more about the recent allegations of NCAA violations by their former coach and his new school, Urban Meyer, at Ohio State. But Florida last year was 11-2. and They were 7-1 and in the conference. Still, they did not make the SEC championship game. They opened up with Toledo on August 31st. And Muschamp says he only worries about one stat and one stat only. Uh, again, I think being a little bit more explosive offensively, uh, being more of a threat offensively, which I think we will be. I'm excited about our offense. Uh, you know, and then continuing to play well on defense. Uh, in our in our league, there's going to be tight games. Look at it week in, week out. It doesn't matter who you play. It's a tight game. It's very similar to the NFL. It's going to come down the last two, three minutes of the game, and you better coach well in those situations, and you better play well in those situations. And so I'm kind of confined to the fact that I'd love to have some 40-point uh, wins, but at the end of the day, I just worry about one stat, and that's winning, and however you do it. And that's what he's going to worry about this year. And the team that's worried about just putting a couple of wins on the L column this year, the left-handed column, is Kentucky. They were obviously the worst team in the conference last year. They finished up 2-10 and overall, 0-6 in the league. And Mark Stoops is their new head coach. And they're going to open up with Western Kentucky on August 31st. Stoops says even if they had a poor season, it's nice to have some players Returning to the ball club. When I visited with uh, Mitch Barnhart. Uh, that, that that you know, I showed him you know some ideas that I had for the future and what our plan was going to be. Sure, surely, yes. And, and of course, things change all the time. You know, you, you know, the bottom line is is have your core values in the program and, and and build on them. It's nice to have some players coming back defensively. We've got a little experience. It's good to have some guys up front. Uh, that, that has some ability, has some size, and has some experience. So I, I, I like that part of it. Um, and certainly with Avery at, at uh, linebacker there, he's just such a great leader. He's a good football player, but he's a really good person and a good leader. So that is good to start with. Uh, we need to improve. We need to improve at the skill positions on both sides of the ball. But uh, it's a work in progress, and, uh, yeah, but it is nice to have those guys. Well, the SEC is obviously the best conference in college football. As I said at the top, they've won the last seven consecutive national championships. The best team in the conference, again, looks to be Alabama, as they've got A.J. McCarron coming back at quarterback, and they still have Nick Saban as their coach. The other teams that look to be competitive in the league, as always, LSU, Florida, and probably Georgia. But when you look at the SEC, You have to say that they're probably an odds-on favorite to make the BCS championship game again the first week and in February. And the hope is among college football fans is that these teams can beat each other up enough during the season that the team that faces them in the championship game will have a chance to win it. I'm looking for Alabama to win the conference and make it to the national championship game once again. That's our look at the SEC preview for tonight. Next week, we're going to look at the Big 12. So join us then for that. But I want to go back up north, away from the Southeastern Conference, and talk one more time about college football. And we're going to go into the state of Michigan, where Brady Hoke has really shown what a class act he is. Yeah, I am a fan of Ohio State. I don't hide from it. I don't shy away from it. I'm not a big fan of Michigan, but Brady Hoke is a class act, and here's why. Grant Reed is a 12-year-old Ohio State fan, and you probably heard about this kid because he's the one that is suffering from a brain tumor, and he named his brain tumor Michigan, and it's gotten a lot of notoriety. Well, he met Urban Meyer because of it. Now Brady Hoke of Michigan is in the act. Grant Reed has beaten this tumor that he named Michigan. And Hoke loves the fact that Reed is calling his cancer Michigan. In fact, he's thrilled about it, mainly because Reed is following through on his promise. He is beating Michigan. In beating the cancer, he's beating Michigan. And Hoke is so thrilled that he actually called Reed 
and offered him tickets to the Ohio State-Michigan game in Ann Arbor on November 30th. And he talked about this act at the Big Ten Media Days on Wednesday in Indianapolis. Number one reaction is we were glad. We were excited for that young man. And, you know, being a, a father, um, you know, our children are so important. And you try and put yourself through what that family's gone through. So, you know, him beating Michigan, you know, in this context, we were all for. But, uh, you know, it was just something, and I'll be honest with you, uh, it was something that uh, um, we had talked about, Justin Dickens and myself, uh, because, uh, you know, our, our kids do an awful lot at Mott Hospital in Ann Arbor, T.S. Mott. And, uh, uh, you know, our daughter was uh, five months in the hospital when she was born. And so you just imagine what those, those, that family was going through. And I spoke to Grant a little bit. Uh, uh, he's doing well. He was excited. And I'll bet he was excited. And Brady Hoke, what a class act he is, the coach of Michigan. And congratulations to Grant Reed, and we hope that he continues to get better. That's a look at football tonight. And I'm going to tell you, folks, when I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and I'll admit it. Doesn't happen very often, but this week it did happen. Because last week I talked about Phil Mickelson and his complaints about the way that the course in Scotland was set up for the British Open. And I said that he would lose the British Open. Well, he won. He shot a stellar 66 on the last day, including an outstanding back nine, which ironically is what he was complaining about that led me to go over the story last week. Well, another thing that I went over is the fact that Phil Mickelson said earlier this year that he may have to leave the game of golf because he pays so much in taxes. Well, according to a report by Forbes magazine, Phil Mickelson is going to sacrifice, get this, 61% of the earnings he got for winning both the 2013 British Open Championship and the Scottish Open, which was the week before, all of which are going in taxes to the British and U.S. governments and the state of California. Mickelson won the Scottish Open the week before the Open Championship, and they'll be taxed at the same rate. For winning both tournaments, Mickelson earned about $2.1 million. Now, after taxes, he takes home $843,000 with a bit over $1.3 million going to taxes. Let's not feel sorry for Phil Mickelson, okay? First of all, he's got enough deductions being self-employed that he's going to regain some of that 61%. And even if he doesn't, 843000 for winning two tournaments in two weeks is more than many of us are going to make in our lifetime. So before you sit back and cry about Phil Mickelson and the 61% of the tax money that he had to give up, just think about what he's taking home, the 843000 over the next two weeks. That's going to do it tonight for our Ultimate Sports Talk show. Glad to have you along. I'm glad you joined us. Boy, we've had a jam-packed show. We've talked about uh, Urban Meyer, Bill Belichick, Aaron Hernandez, the SEC, and, of course, the Ryan Braun and A-Rod situation. And I'm so glad you could join us here tonight. Don't forget to join us again on Monday night for the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show here at Ultimate Sports Talk. That's Monday night where Mark Donahue and I are going to sit back and talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. That's at 9 o'clock Monday night here at Ultimate Sports Talk. And join us again next week on Thursday night at 7 p.m. for the Ultimate Sports Talk show. I am Dave Mitchell. Our thanks to you for listening. We'll join you again next week, Thursday night at 7 o'clock. Until then, have a good weekend, everyone, and good night.